0: Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines,
1: and the opinions expressed on the cast are our own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we are rejoined by special guest, Olivia Girard. And
0: Olivia, you are now the second guest to rejoin us, so that's kind of like... Times two. Anyways, could you give us a quick reintro and let us know what you've been up to?
2: Great. Um, I'm so excited to be here again uh, and nerd out. I'm uh, still at St. John's. I'm currently doing their Eastern program, so studying a lot of Chinese, Japanese, and Indian texts, given gestures to strategic competitor. And um, so that's that's currently what I'm doing. I was in the Marine Corps active from 2014 to 2020. Uh, primarily unmanned aircraft systems, as well as the Marine Corps Warfighting Lab.
0: And thanks again for coming back on. I think our desire to talk Clausewitz, especially Klauswitz and cyber, is both unique and insatiable. So with that, we are going to stick to the same format that we did last time. And I am metaphorically handing the baton over to you to lead the discussion.
2: Great. Um, so first, thank you again for uh, being able to dive deep. I need everyone to take their nerd hat out, dust it off, and put it on aye uh, aye. because we are definitely going deep into the nerdery today. So first, the defense. Um, the defense may be different than what people tend to think about. If you've ever heard of this, is a defensive weapon. So machine guns being a defensive weapon, uh, that kind of aspect of whether or not they pertain to a sp- Specific technology, we need to strip away and really go into our deep uh, kind of theoretical understanding for what uh, defense and the attack are. Um, so first, Clausewitz talks about the defense being the stronger form of warfare. So he's writing in a time when people didn't want the defense. The defense seemed lame. Why would you just go and you know sit on a hill and try and protect a piece of territory when you should be going off and you know getting whatever hill or territory that you wanted? But the reason why he comes to this kind of contradictory conclusion is that he believes acquisition, so trying to grab something from someone else, is much harder than preservation or keeping what you already have. So that's the fundamental core that you need to kind of keep in mind, is whether or not are you trying to take something that someone already has, or are you trying to protect what you do have? Now, you could go kind of full bore and be like, well then no resistance. And and where, where do you end up um, having any sort of action in the defense? So the attack is, again, seeking a positive object. It's the hill or honor or credibility can be any sort of political object. And the defense is negative in the sense of, I don't want you to take that hill. I don't want you to have honor. I don't want you to have the credibility of taking an island or something that may be particularly valuable. But the difference or the key point is it's not passive. There's still something that you're going to be doing. So you're going to have a a component of attacking in the defense. So if I'm going to set up a, a, a defense where I'm going to have a final protective fire, and I'm going to have patrols, and I'm going to have all of these aspects, I'm still having something that's going to go out and harm the enemy. Similarly, if I'm on the attack, I can't only think about trying to take everything. I have to maintain a certain amount of protection, a rear guard, whatever is necessary in order to do that. So I'm just going to kind of pause there and let some cyber perspectives come in <laughs> for for what the this just basic aspect, and then we can get kind of deeper into some of the more s- sophisticated aspects of it.
0: I will lead off and then kick to Rich. So my first statement is more of a question or a clarification. So knowing that Clausewitz was writing at a very different time than we are talking now, do you know when he postulated that, was he thinking more kind of logistics, sustainment, uh because i'm guessing he's probably not talking just raw uh kinetic firepower or destruction cuz those have changed so wildly uh, what do you think was on his mind when he posited that
2: talking about the defense being stronger form of warfare the that aspect is trying to account for what he calls the suspension in warfare so if if you've managed to read book 1 chapter 1 of on war awesome uh that's great that's better than nothing Um, And the argument that he's postulating in this whole thing is it starts from war is a duel. It's made up of all of these things. You get into these extremes of force and strength and trying to make the enemy defenseless. But then guess what? Material reality comes in and you can't do everything instantly. And you know your enemy and time and space. And then guess what? You piss people off when you start attacking them and that can generate more ill will. And then politics comes back in and probability and you could think that he stops the argument there, but he goes, wait. so even if all of these things are true, there's still this thing called a standstill. So even if you hit this point where all of these things are true, the armies because he's generally thinking very land for land war centric, these armies still may not attack <laughs> and he's like, why is this the case? Why is there a reason why even if if I want to take this hill, and there's a defensive perimeter set up on that hill, you pause before you decide to charge up that hill. And he's trying to explain why is that. Um, And so that's really what he's trying to unpack. And his reason is saying that defense is stronger. Because if you think of uh, a tactical engagement, there's an outcome that he talks about that you get. There's victory. And that victory, if people want to listen to the previous one, can come in all sorts of different forms, but that's a zero-sum game. It's whether or not you win or lose that engagement. But if that's the case, it shouldn't matter then whether or not you're on the, whether or not you're attacking or you're defending, because all that matters is this zero-sum game. And he's like, that's not true. It does matter if you're on the defense, and it does matter if you're on the attack. And so there's this extra stuff that you might get if you're on the defense that he's trying to account, uh, like trying to account for, and so I'm actually really curious if that still holds in cyberspace because some of that stuff that he talks about is obviously very antiquated. It's very much tied to the land. It's very much tied to some of this other stuff, and it may still hold in logical space instead of territorial space. But that's that's something that people aren't certain about right now.
3: Yeah. So, um, Olivia, one one. I'm just still amazed at your level of like amazingness when it comes to Clausewitz. So uh, I'll just put that out up front and, uh, and say, I do have some thoughts here. I've thought about this a lot in regards to our profession, um, call it cybersecurity, both offensive and defensive in nature. And, and I do think that there are some, I think there's some timeless classics we should talk about in relation to Clausewitz. Cause I think you make some extremely valid, um, and very strong points when it comes to the nature of the defense. Right. But then I think there are some things that we should talk about that maybe aren't as timeless. They're actually temporal in nature, meaning given periods of history versus like time on a battlefield and in the battle space. Right. Um, So I want to talk about the former first. some of the, some of the things that are kind of immutable. So, I agree that I that when we talk defense from a cybersecurity perspective people have often mentioned to me that if you cover your terrain the things you own right whether in cyber or any other domain um and you can observe them and defend them with whatever weapon systems you choose right um, and you have an integrated strategy of how you're going to defend and how you're going to observe and want to engage the enemy, I think the defense is extremely strong from that perspective, right? So when Clausewitz talks like, hey, there's these key points in warfare where people or organizations pause for a second, even if they have the surprise, right, in in, in the attack, right? And they look at a defense and say, there's some significant things that we should think about here before we just bluntly either maneuver or attack this, this force. And so where I'm going with that is um, what people have told me in the cybersecurity realm is that observation of your infrastructure, right? Or your data or whatever layer you're going to layer this at inside of the cyber domain is like paramount. Why? Because if you can observe and make sense, well, one, you can sense the data, then you can make sense of what is happening. You may be in a stronger position than your adversary uh, because they have to think about way more many things than you do as a defender, um, either well ahead of the attack. So they completely catch you by surprise. Right. And then two, let's say they were successful at that. If you can observe sense and make sense of your, cyber terrain faster than the offensive uh, adversary can, then in theory, you're you're stronger, right? You have a a stronger position. Um, And so I think to that sense, and in traditional cyber security, I I think of, I'm trying to think of a good word here. It's not really, uh, tradecraft is probably a really good word because There's not a whole lot of military terminology in the space. So applying some private sector language here. So if you think about tradecraft, most people say you need to log and you need to patch. And those two things, patching closes down your gaps and your vulnerabilities. And logging increases your observation of your key cyber terrain. And if you do those things extremely effective, it's way harder as an attacker to overcome a really strong defense. So I think that's an immutable thing in cybersecurity. And people don't do those two basic things extremely well. I'll let Kyle and John talk to these things here in a second. And and then the last thing I wanted to offer up, and then I'll pause and turn it over because I think I've been ranting here for a minute. I, I do think when we talk about time from a historical perspective, looking back at the time frame that Clausewitz lived in and kind of what was going on in history at the time, the imperial nature of great powers and nation states was very much driven by acquisition of things in the physical realm, whether that was land, money, power, politics, right? I think now when we talk about cyber and offense and defense, this concept of deterring strategically, right? I want to really tease that out a little bit on this cast and see what everybody thinks about that. Because historically, I don't think that was extremely, I don't think that was a strategy that many Imperial powers had at the time. So that's a lot for me. I'm sorry up front but um, so you have this concept of the immutability and then the temporal nature of, of warfare as it applies to history. I know John and Kyle, you probably want to jump in here.
0: So I'm, I'm John. I'll be taking the anti-position. So, I have a couple thoughts on why maybe it does not apply directly for cyber as it did kind of in the kinetic world. So first, I'll I'll quote the great Kyle, who talked many times about spy versus spy, and that's how he thinks about it. And that's how we talked about Clausewitz a lot the last time. But what we didn't really talk a whole lot about is the population. And so I will say defensive cyber, keeping and incorporating the population is going to be agitating. People do not like their internets messed with, whether you're slowing the internet down or whether people are really concerned that you're eavesdropping on them or any of those other things. Because, you know, one man's defense is another man's really good peeking in at what you're doing. Um, so I think just the natural ability for the population to resist. Wanting to have defense done and that being so agitated where when you have a good offense and again I, I can't think of a time you wanted to wipe out a battlefield Offensively and not let anyone know you were ever there where I think at least yeah. some of the time we are going to want to conduct offensive cyber and no, either no one know that we were there or attribute it to someone else or 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 that doesn't apply for everything but I would say because of those things, and I'll tip it over to Kyle to hammer it home.
1: Well, OK, so Rich talked about a lot of stuff just now, and I'm, I'm, I was like air knife handing the whole time as he's talking about some things in here. But John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address the point that you just made, I think, first. The concept of being able to observe, right, the logging that we always talk about in cyber thought through the lens of a guy that lived in the 1800s gets a little interesting, where I could observe a hill right i can have the best optics on the planet i can i can have a bunch of humans eyes on that stuff i can know what's going on and it is impossible for me to drive an invisible tank up that hill right it is impossible for me to drop a literal bomb on that hill without somebody seeing it or detecting it through a variety of means whereas in cyber you can do both of those things very easily and and it can be very to impossibly difficult for you to detect that at times depending on what you're doing But the hill itself—the metaphor of the hill—is the thing that gets me when we're talking about cyber. Because to the population's point, right? You sure you have a hill, but on that hill is an airport, is a water purification plant, is a petabyte of cat videos, and is like how everyone watches Netflix, right? It's the same hill, right? It's the same and a power grid and a power. Right. I was trying to hit like you know infrastructure plus actual terrain plus actual services plus quality life plus cat videos, because you got to have that in there at all times, right? When you mess with the cat videos, you mess with the population, which can be the agitation that you're sort of talking about. And this is where defense gets really interesting in cyber because you're defending this incredible menagerie of services to not only your offensive cyber capability uh, and your defensive cyber capability, but your national identity and the services that keep the population running in societies, so you know, it, floating.
0: I, I, Sorry, just I, want to add one thing in real quick. I would also say economy of force wise, to, to take all the stuff that Rich said, all that logging and all the whatever, I think when you look at the number of people it would most likely take to develop an attack, and the most likely it would take to defend against all these possible possibilities of attacks from different angles, both from a economy of force of material and personnel, I think is going to be significantly outbalanced.
2: Yeah, I think those are really interesting points. And so there's uh, an older, so we're already talking about an old text. There's an even older text. Oh, we're going that, deeper. That Clausewitz okay. <laughs> wrote. Um, and uh, I'm not going to try and say it in German because I'm sure my tutor would get mad at me, but um, it's either called his Confessions or his Manifesto. So small bio- biographical uh, detail. He, if, if we um, can
1: call your translator and tell them that you get an amnesty period or to attempt to say the word, what will you do? Uh,
2: the the Kentness Denkschrift um, right. is, is, is what it's called. Um, and so he was a tutor. So he fought in the Napoleonic Wars. We're in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars. He's tutor to the crown prince. And he is really pissed after Jena and Arstat, which happened 1806. He gets absolutely embarrassed, and they, it is catastrophe, like worst loss military force um, for battle-wise. It, it's bad. Um, deep shame. And so he's, he's pissed. Uh, France has kind of come in and coddled the Prussians, and he's, he's upset enough that he decides to go fight for Russia. Instead of staying with the Prussians, because Napoleon was co opting the Prussians to go for the infamous 1812 campaign, um, you know, never fight a land war in Asia aspect. So he um, writes this manifesto that gets kind of circulated around. And there's a bunch of different aspects to it. There's a very emotional appeal of, you know, this is why we need to defend our homeland. There's a very rational, like, pro, con, should we be allies with France or should we not? And then there's essentially an O-plan. And in his O-plan, he talks about these are the forts that matter. Here's what we should do is basically have a Spanish civil war in Germany. So he's calling for guerrilla warfare. And then he has this addendum on the defense. And this is why I bring this up. Because sometimes in other writings, he's more clear than he is in, in on war. And I think this may help kind of unpack what we're talking about with respect to what happens when your hill is multiple different layers that can warm hole to all different aspects. Right. And then again, the cats, like, because the cats matter a the lot. Right. So he talks about, well, you get to a wait, waiting. Time is on your side in the defense. That is something that is vastly different from the attack. Um, the attack is all about momentum, trying to generate Whereas defense, if you haven't taken it from me today, guess what? I still have it. You didn't take it from me tomorrow? Guess what? I still have it. So it's that aspect that he's, he's talking about. And then guess what? In that process, the attacker is losing force. So people who want to say that Clausewitz doesn't think about attrition, the defense is all about attrition. So he, he's got attrition in there. But then you have to enjoy the assistance of the locality. And this one is kind of where I think cyber starts to get a little bit interesting because it is, in his mind, it's obviously very spatial and terrain based. So the locality is, you know, are you in a draw? Do you have rivers? What, you know, terrain features do you have that actually add to it? And part of that aspect is that you know your land better. Um, You know, hearing reports from the Ukrainians right now, they're talking about we know our land better. Like we have a better mental map. Of what this land is than the adversary trying to come into that. So part of that is a knowledge asymmetry, um, which gets into information again. And then as well to be close to sources of support. And that's either just logistics. So he's thinking again from a very spatial, do I have to, you know, ship things across the Pacific? Or is it, you know, basically I'm growing the things that I'm using at the same amount of time. But that's also population centric that you're being close to the support because you are close to the, the people who are living, and they're going to give you room it, they're going to give you open source intelligence. So you're also getting in a lot of other aspects in terms of information. So part of the aspect of the defense, I think why he thinks it's stronger, he, he has this thing called the hinterhand, which is the second hand. So basically, instead of this idea of the first being, you know, first strike is better, He's, he's much more second strike because guess what? You have to, if there's infinite possibilities, if you decide to start moving from the north, guess what? That has reduced all the things that I need to do because I know you're coming from the north. Now, you still may do all sorts of other crazy things, but you have reduced the number of possibilities I need to prepare for. So I just kind of want to f- fold those in and see how that kind of starts to look when we're talking about this uh, cascading, mutating molehill.
1: So I think that when we start talking about I am turning the map around, pretending that I'm going to be the attacker, I'm trying to find, you know, things like the MLCOA and things like that. As soon as you have a commitment, as soon as you know where the force is coming from, you've massively reduced those variables. And now you can make a, uh, a significantly more informed decision and therefore likely have a better counter attack, if you will, or at least an adaptation to your defense to counter whatever's happening. And I think in cyber, this is something that I think is the crux of my argument of why defense is better. But I'm going to take it along the lines of saying, I don't actually think defense exists in cyber. I think it's just counter offensive after counter offensive after counter offensive. I think that it's all offense. So like everyone that says DCO is a thing. Cool. I'd actually think it's like D parenthesis O um, everywhere that you're going to be doing it. That element of it, I think is the critical factor, right? If someone is able to compromise something in cyber, right, you've got the best observation on the planet. You go, crap, my router's gone. Uh, again, using a massively oversimplified example here, but my router's gone. It's like, great, how do I get that router back? Well, you're not doing it by like shoring up your defenses. You aren't patching at that point. So you have to re-attack your own stuff in order to get, you know, to retain ownership of it or to gain control of that terrain in our cyber example here. And then you can get back on the defense, but you can't get back on the defense without that offense.
3: Yeah. So I want to jump in here too a little bit. So um, because I think Olivia's points, I want to kind of talk to all three of the things really quickly that, you know, you brought up in the earlier Clausewitzian work, right? Because I think there's some nuanced stuff that is just really interesting to talk about, for lack of a better way to say it. So the first point, right, to await the attack, right? So in theory, there's atmospherics that are going on in, well, I'll say this much, everything is contextual, right? So in the context, let's say um, that I want to place us for a second, let's say that there are two belligerents, right? They are deciding that they cannot resolve their problems diplomatically. So they have moved into some sort of state of warfare, right? Along the conflict spectrum, right? Our competition continuum. And so Let's say that you know side A is attacking side B and side B is in the defense. So using Clausewitz's logic of the defense being stronger, let's say that side B right now is the stronger force at this pause in time, right? So at that moment, now I want to talk about these three things in relation to cyber and, and see if this stimulates a little more conversation. So to await the attack at this moment in time, I would say historically – when you're in a state of warfare, one of the things you would not do as the defender is massively increase your surface area for the attacker to attack, right? And I think this is what's unique about cyber. So if if I'm an organization that's in the defense, in this case, organization B, and I'm going to await the attack, One of the things I wouldn't do is start massively spinning up different nodes in cyberspace in order to expand the frontage of what could be attacked. And I think this is where in this current state and time, that's why I wanted to kind of carry forward this, like we're kind of in a unique time where like nation states through their private sector organizations massively open up their frontage every day because that's what businesses do, right? Most people are migrating to the cloud. They're putting an online presence out there, right? So when you start talking about not just like from a defensive, like a military uh, perspective, like if we were organization B and in the defense, in the cyber arena, if we were waiting or domain, if we were waiting an attack, one of the things I think we would not do is just start massively spinning up infrastructure and making that forward facing to the enemy, Right, and then try to cover that new terrain that we're spinning up with, you know, obstacles and fire. Right, so which so think- what
0: if what if you think about it like this? So, like, yes, completely from a purely, I have lots of things and I must protect them. But what if you think about it from the IO side of why is company A, B, or C massively spinning a bunch of stuff up to project information to sell things to? allow people to communicate two, 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 two. Right. So I, one could even argue maybe that is their version of offense.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think John, uh, I, I think you could definitely make that argument. I guess where I'm contextually trying to place us for a second is that I'll, I'll take a different tact on the, or a perspective on this. If we think it just about like the four major, you know, sources of power, Diplomatic, informational, military, economic, right? I think in the time and space that we we talk very much about when it comes to like reading the Clausewitzian texts, right? All of those things still exist. All of those four, you know, powers, right? But I think if I could say capital versus lowercase, right? Right now, there's a huge capital E and a huge capital I in what is currently going on. In, in my opinion, in the in probably a capital D just to be fully transparent with with what is kind of going on in the current current world, right? And, and what I mean by that is like, no one is willing to slow down their economic growth in order to pause in a wait and await an attack in the defense. So when it comes to cyber, all of these economic things are going on that are really happening in the cyberspace domain, right? There's a lot of things in the kinetic, You know, like trading of goods, ship, sea lines of communication, rail systems, things of that nature, aviation, FedEx type stuff. But I guess where I'm going with this is like what's unique is that in the defense, I I would never really as a military professional want to expand my frontage to the adversary and then have to try to defend that farther and faster with the limited resource pool that I have if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I think Olivia can actually help us here. So real quick, like zoom out and come out of the conversation and do a kind of definition thing. So Mm -hmm. we have offensive cyberspace operations going out and do the hacking of the things. You have defensive cyberspace operations, which is defend the things that we need to have defended. And then there's DCORA, defensive cyberspace operations, response actions, where essentially like, you do a little bit of offense to improve your defense, give or take. Uh, Olivia, can you help us with, does that even translate? Or are there maybe some words that can bring some things together? Because I think there might be a little bit of us anchoring on paradigms that may not completely translate.
2: Yeah. I'm going to say this back and you can correct me if I didn't quite process it. But Defending the thing, so DCO sounds very similar to the defense, is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to protect it. I'm going to have whatever prepared defenses with obstacles and blocking yeah. and everything that I would expect. So, and and um, to Klausowitz's
1: definition, right, that is denying, that is negating the enemy.
2: Yes, it's preventing right. them from taking what they want. It's, yeah, I don't have something extra that I want to get from it. Um,
0: Quick pause. I was taught at TBS, and this could be wrong. Defense oh boy, only, famous def- last words. I, I'm just <laughs> saying, defense only exists as a thing that can trans- that can turn you over to the offense.
2: Yes, Clausewitz does eventually say that you need to eventually go to the attack or to the offense in order to fully get what you want out of it. But if you're in a situation where you are generally trying to preserve, it's going to probably be a while for you to wear down the enemy such that then you can transition to strike the blow. This is, again, going back to it is not just passive endurance. It is not just taking it. There, there is something where you have to then transition to the attack. Neither the attack nor the defense or offense or defense, neither of them are absolutely pure. He, he comes up with his pure theoretical definitions. And then he even says, because Clausewitz does this, he, he, he's in his head. And then he's like, well, my experiences in the world don't quite match what's in my head. So he has to then modify it slightly. And he's like, well, the attack is mostly the attack. But if you are only ever concerned with the attack, you will not protect yourself while you are campaigning into, and eventually you'll hit culmination point, you'll, you know, blow through your forces, and you'll be so weak that it'll be very easy for the attacker who was generally just waiting and preserving, but was probably also doing probing attacks, was probably also having patrols, was learning things so that when they decide, hey, my positive object now is destroying this military, or my positive object now is recapturing the terrain that I had lost. Um, So that is aspect. But in terms of the reactive one, that sounds to me like it's just kind of splitting, Both aspects, or or there's kind of the pure sense of like I just want to keep the things I have, and then there's the the moment where you transition. Am I understanding the the offensive or the defensive reactive?
0: No, I I think you've got it pretty good. But I think in the mental model that everybody should have at home, uh, when we talk about the defense for cyber, and let's just keep it like completely civilian, so we don't have to worry about anything. Civilian defensive forces are only allowed to patch and look at logs. They're not allowed to shoot back. So for all intents and purposes, they're making sure they have really good armor on and there, there are no uh, defects. And then they improve fighting position to the best that they can to make sure they can take as many incoming rounds as possible. And they're hoping it's not catastrophic. They're legally not allowed to fire back.
2: So that means that all they care about is time. That's, that's really the, the, the thing that they are banking on is time. And time may work. Time, you know, you may run out of ammo. Except for what's interesting is when you start to think of the the kind of infinite reproducibility that cyber and information provides. It really changes things because it might. It's not just like, well, I'm just waiting for night to come up. I'm just waiting for when they, you know, exchange rounds or when that supply gets. Uh, you know, just any of those aspects that you might have a normal battle rhythm that you could kind of expect and start to to pay attention to. This is, I think, different um, in that uh, aspect. And and so you, you see phishing attacks, which is infinite reproducibility. Um, and so with that aspect, like the attacker has a lot of stuff going for them in terms of right. the terrain. It's not just that the terrain can change, but it's the fact that, what you're using doesn't have some of the same material limitations that you would normally have when you're out and about in the real world.
1: One of the interesting things about cyber, and again, always trying to put it through my lens of it's player versus player, is that in cyber, everyone has infinite ammo, right? Like there's never a time when you're going to run out of missiles or packets or payloads that you can deliver. Both sides, infinite ammo all the time. And therefore, you've generally got log train and supply line becomes the, the currency of war things that get a little bit uh, finite is I only have so many, like uh, I'm going to be really, really dumb here for a second, but just because the argument makes it fun. There's only so many pieces of cat five and fiber that you can shoot down to get to from router a to router B or from, you know, server a to virtual machine B there's limited finite logistical paths that you can go down. And those become sort of the most important piece. And when you talk about time, Olivia, I think back to, um, this is how they tell me the world ends, which is a fabulous book, uh, it talks through this sort of counter attack offensive force where, uh, Google was protecting against a attack against their infrastructure. And all they were trying to do is funnel the attackers into a certain location where they could monitor better and prevent them from getting out and buy time so that they could just, so with enough time, they could shunt the people out and find out where they were. And they were coordinating with, uh, three and four letter agencies in order to hopefully do other things, which, uh. Was long after I got out of the military, so actually I actually have no idea other than reading the book. But uh, that piece of time becomes very important in an infinite ammo game. Sorry, it was a long way to get there.
2: Yeah, and what's interesting is you have that on the, the flip side. So um, Michael Lewis's Flash Boys is all about decreasing the latency that you have when you're contacting the different stock exchanges in order to right, be able right. to run around. So you have both of those playing for time in the way that the physical infrastructure is created. And so the. I always think that cyber becomes the the defense is still stronger, is when you start to be like, Well, there's a box and I can destroy the box, or I can destroy the server racks and those aspects of it and really start and cooling all of those aspects that matter. That's where it feels very tangible again. And so it's it's whether or not I feel like you're talking about just inside the matrix, or whether or not you've you've stopped.
1: So now you're talking about two very interesting pieces of this puzzle. You have time through the lens of I'm going to destroy the box, right? But you also then have time through a a, uh, different order of magnitude of temporal calculation, which is like the micro milliseconds that you need in order to beat someone else to the stock trade and make more money is the same, right? If you are simply faster at doing all of the things that you need to do, now time becomes this sort of defensive or offensive weapon of, well, I I can move so quickly inside your own systems that no matter what you want to do, call it DCO, call it DCORA, like you are impotent to do any of those things. I have taken your will to fight without you being able to do anything about it, right? I, I have just simply outgunned you in the micro millisecond timeline. So we have time as humans perceive it, right? Time in the sense of like, Minutes and hours and, and and the PVP, people have to sleep at some point, but the computers never have to. And they're operating in the micromillisecond ranges to try and get what they need to get. It's a very interesting sort of uh, uh, dichotomy of how we think about time and war.
0: Well, speaking of that, though, I will add, and this is anecdotally, I don't have good numbers. I know Rich is going to be peeved at me about that. Um, cite your sources. Yeah, cite your sources. But if you could Google fix our computers and look at the number of hits and then compare that to the number of complaints that you get for pick any given offensive cyberspace thing.
1: I think you will- you, Draw this map for me. Draw this map for me.
0: Yeah, the, the idea here being is, because that fix our computers is a defense thing. There's so much defense stuff trying to, we are trying so hard to keep the bad guys out that there is a there was a wave, I know it was on Twitter, it was possibly some other places where people are saying that DOD computers are give or take unusable because we have tried so hard to shore up the defense that we have essentially made our force immobile it's like putting enough armor on somebody that they can't walk 100 meters without passing out due to being a heat casualty give or take from the cyber world i can't remember a single thing that even touched on the level like even within an exponential factor uh uh, when it comes to the offensive side that caused as much outrage as that Or said another way, ask somebody, what do they think about their DOD computer? And then say, what do you think about offensive cyber? I bet you will get a much more emotional response from our computers than you will from offensive cyber or anything that happened there or norms violated, et cetera, et cetera. Again, yet another reason why I believe the defense is maybe in cyber, not the stronger form.
2: So what's interesting, I I always remember logging into my computer, and sometimes it would take so long, I wish I had like a a little counter above my head that would be able to tell me how many hours I have waited for my computer to function so that I could then perform my duties.
0: Some Um, people had routines. Like they would tell me what they would do from when they tried to log on to when they'd actually log on. I was a little bit sick to my stomach sometimes.
1: I, I recently hired a Marine Corps vet onto my team. She's amazing. Uh, and that's one of the first conversations that we ever had was what her routine was when she got to work in the morning and logged onto her computer, all the things that she would do before the computer would even let her on to begin like opening a web browser insanity. This is what I'm talking about.
2: Arguably that could be a kind of cyber defense. It's just the wrong, you know, it's just <laughs> nobody, nobody could do defense. anything.
1: That's right. We're just
3: Yeah. So I think so I'm going to say something that I think is uh, tragic and funny at the same time. Right. Um, so, uh, lack of proficiency in doing what we would call in operations, right? Or just what what we would call in the military setting up IT communications infrastructure, right? Lack of proficiency at doing that does not equal defense in my in my mind, right? Um so just say that up front, because I think that's sort of comical. Um so anyhow, but to to, to kind of bring us back to to the Clausewitzian piece, at least uh, to, to bookend some of the stuff you're talking about and then move the conversation forward. So I I guess I didn't really do a good job. So I'll just say it bluntly, like to await the attack. I think there is a difference um, fundamentally that we have to kind of agree on moving forward in the rest of the conversation, in my opinion. So there are things that we do in the cyber domain that aren't offense and defense. They're just activities, right? So for example, like intelligence gathering activities, right, or espionage or things of that nature that nation states do aren't really offense and defense, right? They're just activities that are to gain an informational advantage in some way, right? So I would think like to await the attack, I would say that I would never in a military situation on a military network expand my frontage. And I just want to put that out there to say that that's really the point I was trying to make with, with that piece, right? So I do think that if you don't expand your frontage, then I think the defense is a stronger place to be. What I would argue is that the way military networks are set up, we constantly expand our frontage in a way that we don't have observation, and that causes risk,
1: right? So- Walk that forward for me. Walk that forward for me. Like, do you expand your frontage in cyber, or does the frontage have to be physical infrastructure? Like, I'm thinking an availability zone in AWS, is that a new frontage, or is launching a VM a new frontage? Great question.
3: I say it's all the above. It's the full stack, right? I can, on the same infrastructure, open up another vector in because I installed another virtual server, put a web app on it, and now it's open to some extent that it might not be, have been in the past. My point that I'm trying to make here is that the networks change constantly And we don't have a great way of understanding how the defense changes at a pace to defend it fast enough to your guys' earlier point on time, right? I would just say that that is a thing that a defender really has to think about. But if you don't change your network in any way, and you actually stop expanding your frontage, then you might be in a stronger state than your adversary who's on the attack, right? So- I just say that I know we beat that one to death, but I wanted to actually talk about the other two, like re- really quickly. And then, um, you know, Kyle looks like he wants to say something about my earlier comments. We should go well, to
1: that. But- I, I sort of think through this on, on on the, is this a new frontage, right? If I launch more VMs, right? Is that actually a new frontage that increases my attack factor? I, I Going going back to the hill metaphor, I just think you're stacking more junk on the hill. I think the hill is still there.
0: How about it depends on how you've de- designed your networks. Yes. Yeah. Like well, that, yeah, like the, ne- the network
1: is evolving all the time. I'm like, actually, I think it's very difficult to evolve and change that network to the point that it's difficult to respond if things go wrong.
3: So let me say this. it, In my opinion, it shouldn't matter. It only matters what the attacker can do. If you change the state of your defense with technology across the stack, top to bottom, on the same piece of infrastructure, you're changing it. You're adding new infrastructure, Right. You're creating new paths into your net. It doesn't matter what you think is the defender. If the attacker can sense and make sense of the change you made faster than you can observe and defend it. So this is why I think it's really hard to have this conversation when it comes to await the attack. Because awaiting the attack, you could do some things to your network that you're not aware is happening, right, as a, as the defending force. Uh, but, but go ahead, Olivia. It looks like you wanted to jump in.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think if if I can try and settle some dust, I'm actually going to go to Clausewitz because um, I think he actually has something interesting to say here. So, for people who have never read Clausewitz, there's eight books. Most people don't get beyond book one, chapter one. Um, but if you do, there's this really awesome, super long book called The Defense. And in The Defense, there are some like really interesting things on defensive mountains and defensive rivers, which again seemed. Oddly relevant recently, but there's this really small one that he talks about. That's the defense of swamps and inundations, and here I think is where he actually has the closest that I can see to him talking about cyber. Obviously, like beyond the grave and and everything. And so
1: cyber as a swamp. Yes, exactly. I think cyber she just called us the swamp. To <laughs> be amazing, I love this. Let's rock. <laughs>
2: yeah so defensive swamps is probably one of my favorite chapters um but this is this is in the inundations and uh, I'm using the Joel's translation um so that is it is not a question of a single line of defense shutting in the country like a simple barrier. But as everywhere, we have the same obstacle to approach to protect our flanks. We can continually form new posts and in this way replace a lost section of line of the line of defense by a new one. We may say that the number of combinations here, like those on a chessboard, is infinite. And so basically what he's talking about is that in an inundation, so think of basically... New Orleans or something, where you could have the water come and everywhere you are now surrounded. And there's no, there's no way that you can predict the way that you would move through this, because essentially, you were vulnerable on every single side at all times. And so that's, that's I think, Clausewitz on cyber.
0: <laughs> you really lost me at first when you said we were the swamp. And then I was like, ooh, ooh, that, uh, that sounds a lot like IT resources. Rich?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, so I think that's, Clausewitz said it better than me in the swamp. Uh, But that's kind of what I'm saying is that like, um, turn the the water rising or the flood into just normal day-to-day activities inside of the cyber domain that we don't really track close enough um, as a defender, right? So it becomes hard to replace the line to use his phrase right if you don't know that you had a line there before that was defended and now that line is open so that was where i was going on the await part i think though when we talk about the other two things like the enjoying enjoying the assistance of the locality and being close to the sources of support i think these are also interesting points right for a defender um and i think also i think because like when the assistance of the locality right? That's terrain-based. What I think is really cool as a defender here is that you can create and destroy terrain as you see fit without potentially material consequence in the current state um, or day and age. And I I look over to Kyle on this one because, for example, in the past, you really couldn't disassociate your data with your infrastructure, They were very tightly coupled. You had to put data on a disk and that disk sat in some infrastructure like a server or in a rack somewhere in a data center. Technically,
1: that's still the case, but yes. Yes.
3: Well, yes. Also true. I think now, though, with this concept of abstraction and moving things to the cloud, you, in theory, could disassociate your data with its infrastructure. It still needs infrastructure to sit on because the ones and zeros have to be recorded somewhere. Yeah, you certainly can disassociate it from the infrastructure you hold. Right. So what I'm saying as a defender is if you, for example, I'm going to make an analogy to frequency hopping, right? In cyber. If you frequency hopped through infrastructure, but your data, you still monitored the data and the state of the data it was in, you can make it infinitely hard for the attacker to figure out a vector in, even with known fiber paths and routing paths. If I constantly move my infrastructure and that doesn't affect my data, I could just monitor the data and worry less about the vector in via the infrastructure because I'm constantly free copying through a set mm. of IP addresses. Hard disagree. Addresses. Hard
1: disagree.
0: I think I'm with, I'm with Rich. If you striped your data in such a way across data centers or whatever, in such a way that it would be unintelligible unless you had the, the striping uh, master key... I, I could see a world yeah, I mean, in which- You're maybe describing it. a
1: blockchain, everybody. That's that's what this is, right? Yeah, it's, it's where- And actually, we are. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, okay, so I'm on. doing a bad job. I'm doing not. a bad job. Kyle, <laughs> we, we
0: were there and then you ripped us right off. No, oh, I'm sorry. Olivia, I want to come back real quick because I heard your quote completely different than Rich did. Rich kind of heard it of like, hey, there are these swamps and they could move around and that would be really hard to defend. I heard it as there are these swamps, you can use them as a." as a defense because the attacker has no idea how many of them or the transient nature of them. And that could make it harder. Uh, Kyle appears to have taken a third take. Yes.
1: Well, no, I actually, I want to agree. Uh, I want to agree with both of you. And here's what happened in real time right now. We're talking with Olivia. I know, exactly. Uh, And Olivia starts quoting this chapter on swamps, which piques my interest. So do I have a copy of On War sitting on my desk at all times? Yes, I do. Have I read the whole thing? Absolutely not. So I just rapid fire read the chapter on swamps while we were talking. It's literally... two pages everybody it's not like that's an impressive feat at the moment but Nerd. this this section jumped right out at me through this exact concept which is another characteristic of marshes although i think this is in reference to swamps is that one is never able to demolish a means of crossing entirely as one can in the case of using uh, over a river you can dismantle a bridge or destroy it enough to make it unusable but the most anyone can do to something in a marsh or a swamp is to breach it which is not doing that much if a stream flows through the swamp i guess you could demolish the bridge crossing that but that's not going to impede the crossing uh, in the whole at that same extent would at the discretion of a bridge over a major river you could overcome this so the natural consequence is that existing dams must always be fairly strongly held and seriously defended if the marsh is to be of any military advantage so basically you can have stuff But unless you're willing to defend it endlessly, it will not be an advantage to you in the swamp. And if we're going to just take this metaphor, which, by the way, chef's kiss, I love, of cyber equals swamp. um, That's actually super interesting if you you pull that apart. So to Rich's point, yes, defend, but doesn't actually matter that much because you can kind of go anywhere. Defense is whatever you make of it in a swamp. And to your point, maybe, John, and if I'm reading this the correct way, is you can attack anywhere you want. It's almost impossible to defend.
2: Well, and this this is the great thing of why I why I like Klauswitz and why I think why I'm so grateful to be able to come on here is because even you don't have to read the whole thing, but you take a small bit and you think what am I doing right now and does this relate to it and if not why not? And if you can articulate either why it works or why it absolutely breaks down, you've probably gained some sort of insight as to what you're doing different. And then you can then use that Little kernel, and then start applying it to other things. So, you know, I, I love cyber swamps. I'm definitely going to start thinking yes. through, thinking through that, um, and you know, hashtag cyber swamps.
1: Now I'm going to look and see if that exists in any way, shape, or form that could be uh, not safe for us. Probably, yeah, <laughs> not on an IoT computer, please. <laughs> yes, uh, a risky click of the day.
2: So the the last thing that I want to just focus on there's not only is defense stronger form for Clausewitz, for all the reasons that we've kind of gone through, and these defense being about the negative object, and then eventually transitioning to the positive, i.e. the defense becomes the attack, and the attack probably becomes a defense, is that the defense is a m- kind of way of warfare that has access to a particular set of means. So basically, if you go defense, it's like your, your game unlocks and you get like special weapons. So the, 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 special, the special features that you get when you're on the defense, he calls the land affair, which is basically for him, militia or National Guard. I.e., maybe these are white hat hackers, other people who are going to be on your side because of the, the general preference for people to want to keep the status quo. The second is fortresses, which again, fortresses seem, you know, Monty Python uh, <laughs> launching cows, like that's that's where we're at. But if you think of what fortresses are, it's a collection of economic wealth, it's a large social gathering place with some sort of fortifications. Those in military context, we could say aircraft carriers, and guess what? You have fortresses that move. But you can also think of, you know, different kind of large gathering spaces we're seeing right now, Twitter, and <laughs> whether or not Twitter has a kind of inertia, um, in terms of being a fortress to some extent, um, the people, the people that he talks about is really interesting because when you read through it, one, it sounds like Sun Tzu, which is really interesting. But the second is it talks about the value of the people in terms of open source intelligence. Um, basically the value is that they're going to see the locale. They know the patterns of life and they're going to be able to report that to you. That is not an advantage that the attacker has. And then obviously if they get pissed enough, then you get guerrilla warfare. And then the last and what he either, if you translate it, it's either the last support or the ultimate sort support and that's allies. And so allies are what's going to feed in the means for everything. So those, those are, you know, special, special unlock features that you get when you're on the defense.
0: I, I love this. I had a completely different take, and I'm going to lightning round this and, and see if Kyle and Rich agree. So for LANDWAR, I ha- the basic militia National Guard, I have your CSP forces. Those are your updating, patching, logging, basic hygiene folks. Fortresses, starts with an F, firewalls. The people, I would say, are like antivirus. Sometimes it tells you the truth. Sometimes it doesn't. It floods you with a bunch of information. Sounds a lot like people. (laughs) Uh, Guerrilla warfare are the trolls and or the script kiddies that are kind of out there pinging and ponging. They make life difficult. They consume a lot of time. And then the allies thread Intel feeds again, sometimes helpful, not always completely trustworthy. Could turn the tide for you but also could occupy a lot of your time and maybe not be a deciding factor.
1: Sure. I'll I'll give you my upvote on that. I I don't know that I can break that down as well as you just broke that down, but I think that that's close enough for competitive sake.
2: Well, I don't have anything else on Clausewitz at the moment, though I'm sure if pressed, I could continue to t- talk about clouds for far more time than perhaps there's uh, tape available. Um, even though this is on a digital computer,
0: <laughs> I wish one of your, did you say eight or 12 additional volumes that you have? I wish one of them was a volume on firewall versus IDS versus IPS.
2: Unfortunately a- that a- manifest- translation oh. isn't out yet. Oof. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oof. And, and I bet something will get lost there.
2: So, I'm going to hand the proverbial mic back over. Thank you very much for for letting me nerd out. You can take your nerd hat off
1: oh never, never, oh yeah, yeah, the nerd hat never comes no, off never off so yeah. i I do like that comparison the more I'm thinking about that right i I sort of think through your c s p s is good, but I think the militia's gonna also have to be something that you can spin up quickly, right? I think just think about like the the revolutionary war type militias and things like that. Is that going to be you? enabling and weaponizing uh you know civilian it or is that the marine corps cyber auxiliary that you somehow can provide a a kit of like here's your your hacking laptop go cause mayhem um i, I don't know how that applies to the modern cyber warfare I, I don't know that we've seen sort of militias called up or formed in the nation's defense in any way yet but i think that that's that's the thing that's most interesting to me um is how, how does that actually work how do you call up a bunch of folks can you I think about like back in the pirate days, you would give a letter of Mark to somebody and that would just turn them from a ragtag criminal into a licensed, you know, butt kicker on the high seas that could go do whatever they wanted as long as they didn't attack the nation that gave them the letter to Mark. Uh, It was basically deputizing anybody that you want. And how how do we think about that through the lens of cyber? How do you give a letter of Mark to your script kitty? Or how do you give a letter of Mark to somebody that you say, great, you're now part of this, go forth and conquer. Maybe that was
0: mentioned in the book that you mentioned earlier in the cast.
1: Well, to some extent, but I, I, are we seeing that today, right? How do we think about that through the larger global powers perspective, right? Are we seeing that in the current conflict between Russia and the Ukraine? Are we seeing that other ways and in, in ways that we can talk about here? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
0: Rich, do you have any any thoughts before I kick it over?
3: I have a lot of thoughts, but... In the interest of time what I'll say is like it has been awesome. I love having this conversation Olivia like you know and and I'll say I guess I'll save my my knife hand moment things for a few seconds in the future here but like I honestly believe this dialogue this conversation taking you know published known um doctrine based you know, uh, studies on warfare and trying to apply them forward to this domain now only makes people smarter, more effective, and better at both the defense and the offense. Depending on how you you look at your current task and where you sit in what organization, um, so that's really what I wanted to say, John. Is like I just I enjoy this conversation. I don't think we'll ever get through all the things that Olivia cues up for us. And I don't ever think we're super awesome at actually making them really clear, at least I'm not, to the audience. But I appreciate the audience for listening and, and, and Olivia, for you bringing uh, your knowledge to the cast.
2: Well, it's, it's always a pleasure. Um, and I think that there's just continuous ways to, to think about what war is and how war is being fought because we don't fully know. We know there's lots of different things going on, whether or not they're uncrewed things that are flying around, or whether or not we're doing whatever things in the, the boxes that get really hot over time, I, you know, <laughs> that we tend to care a lot about. Like I, I know that different things are happening and there's a few different ways that you can always think about the future. You can either just try and think like, what, what is the future gonna look like? Or you can go back and try and read someone who abstracted away and try and figure out what their abstraction is, and then overlay that abstraction onto what trends we have now and start to see different things um, pop up or not. And guess what, time and space are still limiting resources. And I think that's still true. I just think of time as how efficient your algorithm is and space in terms of memory. Um, And you can kind of come up with very similar corollaries.
0: Kyle, there has been plenty of material here. Hit us with your hot take.
1: I'm going to say that the nature of war is very complicated. And I think that no one who's ever been on this cast or who's on this right now would disagree with that statement, which is not controversial and so not necessarily a hot take. But what I will say is that thinking about cyber through the lens of traditional war has immense value. I think that far too often, we as a community will say, oh, this is new, this is technology, like, you know, sit down, boomer, grandpa, grandma, whatever. We let let the people who know what's going on talk about these sorts of things. And I think that does a huge disservice towards how we think about the absolute fundamental understanding of how humans get into conflict, right? There's nothing new under the sun uh, and everything that we have done to impose our will upon others can be looked through lenses that have already been polished and created by those who've come before us we can stand on the shoulders of giants here on this and then to that lens please read and i know that that's probably not anything that you haven't heard before on this cast but uh i now have a new book that i need to read of von klauswitz that is going to now stay open on my desk until i can read it on a plane this week but this stuff is really interesting and sort of the the cyber as swamp concept is really it causes my brain to be a bit fuzzy right now. And so now that's a good indicator in my own life that I need to go dig a little deeper into this. So Olivia, just a personal thanks for that. And that's my hot take is that worse complicated, but it's also not that complicated when you break it down and try to just think about it through a fundamental, like um, bring it down to its base elements and then try to overlay what you know already and figure out a framework that works.
0: I'm digging your lack of clarity. Yeah, Rich, that's me. we saw the knife hands many a times. Hit us with your moment.
3: I just have two really quick ones. I think the first one is when we are talking about warfare and the study thereof distinguishing, and this is really hard because we don't really have a good definition of this in, in the, in the current vernacular, what activities are happening in cyberspace space versus which ones are offensive and defensive in nature. I think that that is a really important thing to think about um, when you're trying to digest these texts and and apply them to the current state. Um, And then I think the second thing is uh, I hope that through the study of these texts and materials that we're finding ways to compete and deter versus actually go to conflict. Um, Because I think one of the coolest things about being born today is that you have a less likelihood of being a conventional land conventional land war than you did in Clausewitz's days, notwithstanding the things that are going on in Ukraine and Russia, right? Like, um, but generally speaking, as a human population, it's kind of a good time to be born into the world, right? And I'd like to kind of keep it that way to the greatest extent we can um, by learning to deter and compete in ways that we don't actually have to send kinetic rounds down range. And those are my two-knife hands shot.
0: Thank you very much for that. And dear listeners, thanks for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson, and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review and accompanying comment. And with that, we are out.